The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Well, good evening, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. As, uh, as Jim said, my name is Oren J. Sofer, and um, I'm uh, really happy to be here with you tonight. Uh, as, as Jim mentioned, um, my first book is coming out tomorrow. It's called Say What You Mean. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I'm really, really happy. I'm very happy to get to share this evening with you before the book is actually formally released. Um, so uh, I, was, I was on a radio show last night and they asked me, you know, well, why did you write this book? And um, I thought it was a great question. And um, I wrote this book because communication is at, at the heart of so much of our life. And it's, it's, it's one of the most accessible and powerful ways to bring change into our lives. You know, if you have a, a boss or a supervisor that you don't get along with, um, or you have a roommate um, where things are challenging or tricky, or... <laughs> You happen to have family, period. <laughs> you know, um, so communication is the one thing that all of us share in common in the sense that we're doing it all day long, every day, in every area of our life, even when we're alone, right? Where we might be reading the news or looking at a feed. Uh, and if we're not actively engaged with, with reading something, what's happening? A lot of the time we're thinking, which is this internal communication. So it's present all the time, mediating our life and to a large degree determining the quality of our relationships. It plays a huge role in the level of our um, success and ability to accomplish our goals and aims at work professionally. And yet, given how important it is, given how central it is to our lives, you know, how much formal, explicit training do most of us receive in communication? It's rarely taught in the schools. I mean, we learn grammar and things like that, but we don't actually learn how to, how to communicate well. So... It's because of how central and prevalent it is, it's, um, it's a very powerful lever for change. If we make one shift in our communication in any area of our life and follow it through, we're going to see far-reaching changes in all areas of our life. And I think so we're here at the Insight Meditation Center. This is a center that's devoted to sharing the powerful and transformative teachings that come out of the Buddhist tradition. And I think that the Buddha understood this very clearly, the power and the role that communication has in our life. He wouldn't have made it one of the factors of the Eightfold Noble Path if he didn't think it was really important for us to pay attention to how we think, speak and perceive to this faculty for language and communication that we have.
So the path of practice that's taught by the Buddha, it's not just about what we do when we come here to a place like IMC and meditate together. It's not just about what we do right now in terms of investigating and exploring the Dharma together through concepts and learning in this format of sharing. It's meant to be applied and integrated thoroughly and completely in every area of our life. And this includes the choices that we make every day, the work that we do, our intimate relationships, our friendships, and those moments when we're alone, when we're not doing anything in particular. What are we doing with our mind and our attention? Where are our thoughts going? How are we speaking to ourselves? So being born into the human realm, having a body, having a mind and a heart, being conscious means that we feel things. It means that we're affected by the world around us. That's, that's, the, um, that's the formula for being alive. When we're conscious and embodied, it means that we are affected by by life, by sensory experience, it, it touches us. The world touches us through our eyes, through our nose, through our ears, through our tongue, through our body, and through our heart-mind. So we are, re- we are inherently relational creatures. To be alive is to be in an experience of relationship. So not only are we affected by the world, but we have the capacity to respond. We have the capacity to influence the conditions around us. It's a limited capacity, but there's some, there's some capacity we can respond to what's happening. And this is very important because from the Buddhist perspective, because this capacity to respond um, begins to shape our experience. This is what's known as karma or kamma. So the things that we do, say, and think lay down a certain tendency or track in our mind and begin to shape. They shape, um, they shape our external world through our choices, but more importantly, it shapes our internal world. The ways in which we think and speak and act create an internal atmosphere in the mind. And speech is one of the ways that we create karma. It's one of the ways that we shape our own heart and mind, that we create uh, the circumstances and conditions of our life, or I might say more accurately that we influence the the conditions and circumstances of our life. So because we are inherently relational, born into this world of being affected and being able to respond, you know, relationship is central to our lives. We depend on one another for the basics of our survival, as well as for things like sense of belonging, connection, understanding, meaning. We're deeply social creatures. 
Just think about how important your own relationships are. Relationships at home, with family, even relationships at work, even particularly the ones that are maybe hard, you know. How much of your mental energy and space does that take up? Think about the joys in your life, the things that have brought the most nourishment and meaning. I would imagine that no small number of them include other people. Close friends, loved ones, children, parents. Think about the sorrow, the struggle and suffering in your life. Other people, right? Key factor. So those relationships are really central to us as human beings. And what determines the quality of our relationships? Well, it's the interactions we have. And what are those interactions made up of? Communication, for the most part. So speech has tremendous power. Tremendous power in our lives. I want to read to you a little bit from, um, from the, uh, the introduction to my book, Say What You Mean, and um, then talk a little bit more about how we, how we can start to work with our speech and communication. What we say matters. We've each felt the power that words have to heal, soothe, or uplift us. Even one caring remark can make the difference between giving up and finding the strength to face life's challenges. We each also know something of the great harm that can be inflicted through speech. Sharp words laced with anger or cruelty can break a relationship and burn for years. Language can be used to manipulate and coerce on a mass scale to fuel fear, war, oppression, or to advance political agendas of genocide and terror. Few things so powerful are also so commonplace. Words are woven into the fabric of our lives. Your first love, your first job, your last goodbye to someone you love, our beginnings and endings, and the countless moments in between are punctuated by a play of words as we share our thoughts, feelings, and desires. Words are a kind of magic. To be alive and self-aware on this remarkable planet with its forests and lakes, its oceans and mountains, in a vast universe with billions of galaxies, that's mysterious enough. What a marvel to be able to look into each other's eyes for an instant and form words that tell something of our lives. What we say matters, perhaps now more than ever. We live in times of great change, 
in which much is being asked of us. We live at a time when we are less and less able to listen and really hear one another in society. At a time when those with different views, beliefs, or backgrounds are, once again, so easily cast as the other. At this time, when great forces of political, social, economic, and environmental change are sweeping the globe and intensifying our separation from self, from others, from life, we need to learn how to speak and listen in a new way. We need to learn how to reperceive our world with fresh eyes beyond inherited historical and economic structures of competition and separation that can so easily determine our relationships. It's heartbreaking to know the good of which we're capable and yet to see so much destruction and violence. In Japan, there's a saying, the cherry blossoms are beautiful because they're fleeting. We each have an opportunity to use the time and energy we're given with integrity. So my hope is that this book might in some small way help us begin to realize our potential for good as human beings by learning to bring more compassion, wisdom, and kindness to how we navigate the relationships that make up our everyday lives. I am hoping it might help us to transform the mechanisms of thought and perception that make violence seem like a viable strategy that it be one small step in creating a world that works for all. So how do we do this? How do we start to actually shape our words, our communication in a way that's more skillful, that's helping to create the quality of relationships that we want in our life, the kind of connection that we long for, that's building a world that's in line with our values instead of perpetuating the, uh, the things that have been passed on to us from previous generations. So over the course of my own meditation practice um, and just my own kind of trajectory as a, as, a, as a person, as a human being, I've become really interested in the question of, you know, how do we create the conditions for more meaningful conversations? How do we create the conditions for more effective communication? And um, what the the book is based on uh, is an integration of three different streams of practice that I find together form a very, very powerful foundation for shifting our communication. And these are um, Buddhist practice, within, um, talked about in a secular way, you know, mindfulness practice, uh, nonviolent communication, which is a form of communication training founded by Marshall Rosenberg, and then um, certain somatic practices that come out of the trauma healing world. Because our communication patterns are, are rooted in our nervous system. The ways we respond to difference, to strong emotions, to disagreement, those get encoded 
into our nervous system. So it's not just the thoughts and the words and the language that's happening. It's actually the responses that were happening on a deeper, on a, that are happening on a deeper level in our body that we need to start to work with. And so the process of shifting our communication, the way that I teach it, it's founded on three core trainings or three core steps to shifting our communication. And I want to just give you an overview of those three steps. This just forms the, the bulk of the structure of, of my book, Say What You Mean. So I'll talk about each of them a little bit, um, and then we'll leave some time at the end for, uh, for a little bit of discussion and questions. So the first step, the first training in uh, having more meaningful conversations and effective communication is about mindfulness. It's about learning what I call relational awareness. So how to bring what we're doing on the cushion when our eyes are closed into the relational space. How do I stay aware? How do I stay grounded? How do I stay connected to that sense of kindness and compassion and balance in relationship with another human being, right? And this is what I noticed early in my meditation practice, five, six years in, was that, you know, things were going fine in the meditation and I would feel calm and my heart would feel open and have some insights or, but then as soon as I'd get into a disagreement with a coworker, you know, all the peace and calm would vanish, all the insight and wisdom goes out the door and, you know, there we are arguing or fighting and forget about family. It was, just, it was just, you know, completely absent. And so I noticed that I had enough mindfulness to notice, like, there's a, there's a pretty big gap here, Oren, what's going on, right? And so that's when I got interested in communication training and realizing I need a bridge to start to bring some of this in to my relationships. So the first step, the first training here um, is to do what I call leading with presence. To lead with presence. And this means that before anything else, before the words, before what we want to talk about, before our emotions, we just show up. Can we just be here? And this has a very powerful effect. Because you can feel it. You can feel it when someone's really present with you, right? And it's not just about whether or not someone's pulling out their phone, right? Someone can be looking you in the eyes and we can tell that they're really not here. You know, their mind is somewhere else. They're not really listening. So just that capacity to show up and be present with someone starts to shift the conditions of the relationship and the conversation. The first foundation of having more effective communication is mindfulness because in order to be, in order to understand anything, in order to have a meaningful conversation, we need to be here, right? If we're not present, how can we understand anything? How can we have a meaningful connection if we're not here, right? And so we can actually train ourselves in this. When we're able to be more mindful in conversation, when we're able to lead with presence and be embodied, grounded, um, wholeheartedly here 
with another human being. There's a wide range of benefits that come along. Not only does it lay the ground for more connection uh, and understanding, but we get more information when we're present. We pick up on more. We notice more. Not only in the actual words that someone is saying, but we notice facial expressions, body language. We get more information about what's happening for ourselves. We notice more quickly if we're getting reactive or defensive or triggered. And instead of blurting something out, we get like an early warning signal inside from our mindfulness. I mean, just, just consider for a moment how many arguments... How many misunderstandings have you had because one person wasn't really paying attention or listening? I was teaching a retreat recently on this topic on mindful communication. It was a week-long residential retreat. And... um, There was one participant um, who didn't say a whole lot during the retreat. It's an older man in his 70s from the Midwest. Um, I was curious how he was taking things, you know, because he wasn't sharing a whole lot. And at the end of the retreat, in the closing circle, everyone's sharing just a minute or two, you know, something about their experience from the retreat. And he said something that I thought was so profound, so powerful. That's about this, this step of leading with presence. He said, you know what I'm taking away from this retreat? He said, I've been married to my wife for, I can't remember, 30, 40 years. My wife is the person that I talk to the most, but talk with the least. I'm going to change that when I go home. This is the value of leading with presence. Is that we recognize, we see the other person. Conversation, relationship, it's a mutual process. When we're not present, it's not mutual. There's no real connection or conversation happening. So leading with presence is the first step. And there are many ways to do this. I talk about a lot of different tools uh, and practices in the book. I'll, I'll share just, uh, just one with you this evening, um, which is the simple yet powerful practice of pausing. Just taking a short pause doesn't need to be long. Just enough to remember to be here. You know, one breath can change what you say next. One pause can be the difference between saying something that's going to take a lot of time and energy to clean up and, and that restraint to just, maybe I'm not going to say that one. So the first step is to lead with presence. This gets us on the map. This kind of gets us into the playing field of the conversation and the relationship. The next step and the next key training is about our intention. So where are we coming from? What's, what's, what's the quality of our heart, the motivation, the inclination that's driving things? Intention is a very powerful fact, mental factor in our experience. 
It's what determines the trajectory of a conversation. Our intention is also where we create karma. The intention is what sows the seeds in our, in our mind, in our consciousness for future action. So much of our communication is not about what we say. So if you're having a conversation with someone and they're saying one thing to you, maybe they're smiling, but their body language or their tone of voice or just something in your gut is sending a different message than the words, which do you believe? Right? We, we believe that gut feeling. We trust those nonverbal cues more than the words. That's, what's, that's what we actually pick up on. When the words and the tone don't match, we listen to the tone. And what's shaping all of that, what's shaping our tone of voice, our facial expressions, those subtle subconscious signals that we're sending is our intention. It's that quality in our heart and mind that's present, that's animating our whole being in a relationship, in a conversation. So with mindfulness, what, what we start to uh, notice, not only do we become aware of what's happening in the relationship, but we start to be able to be aware of and observe the impulses that are happening in our own mind and body. And we start to, to recognize some of these intentions are more helpful than others. Right? Some of the more habitual, conditioned intentions that we've picked up from our family, from our society, in conflict, in when there's disagreements or differences, to be right, to win, to have our way, to dominate, to control the situation, those tend to be less supportive of meaningful conversations. Those tend to be less conducive to having collaboration, right? So we can start to actively choose more helpful, more helpful intentions. And one of the most powerful intentions, one of the most transformative ingredients in any dialogue is the intention to understand. Because that's what communication's about fundamentally. Why do we open our mouth? Why do we say anything? On one level, whatever's going on, even if it's just could you pass the salt, <laughs> underneath it, we want to be understood. We're trying to send a message. That's why we communicate. So what better intention as a default to train in than the intention to understand? When we can give somebody else that sense that we're genuinely interested in where they're coming from, that we genuinely want to understand them, they can soften, stop worrying about defending themselves or getting their way because they have a sense that we're actually listening and we're not trying to manipulate or control the situation. And that opens up the space for actually having more dialogue. So the, the training here in our intention one of the core intentions to cultivate um, is to come from curiosity and care. This is a combination 
of this genuine intention to understand, that the curiosity to know, but also that we're connected to our heart. It doesn't mean that we like everyone. It means that we're not harboring hostility or ill will, which damages our own mind. So can we start to come from curiosity and care? I had one student who took a a six-week class of mine that I taught up in Berkeley, and she shared this tool with one of her friends. I think it was a roommate or something. Just this one teaching on, you know, what's it like to have a genuine intention to understand in a conversation? Can you really just try to remember to come back to that? Really to just listen and try to hear where the other person's coming from. So she shared this with a friend of hers, Friend hadn't even taken the class. And the friend told her a few days later, I've been doing that and it's so helpful. Like this thing worked out and this other thing with this other person started to change. Just hearing that one teaching. Um, another, uh, Another student was sharing a story about working with these first two steps. This ability to lead with presence, particularly to pause and then to come from curiosity and care, to have this genuine intention to understand. She, um, she'd been having a lot of marital issues, and um, she and her husband had uh, an awful fight, and um, like really, really horrible. And he was on his way out the door, like, that's it, you know, this is, this is over, I'm leaving. Um, And as he's walking across the room, heading towards the door, she paused, took a deep breath, and she called out to him and she said, Bobby, I think we can really turn this around if you're willing and if I'm willing. And he stopped. He turned around, and he came back. They sat down on the couch, started talking. They started to work it out, and, and were able to stay together. It's not always possible, but if we can't even do that, then there's no possibility, right? So these first two steps of leading with presence and coming from curiosity and care, they create the foundation for being able to hear one another, for being able to build the trust, um, the sense of, uh, of willingness to engage and have a meaningful conversation. And notice that I haven't said anything yet about words, about what, we're, about what we say. Precisely because so much of communication is not about what we say. It's about where we're coming from and the the quality of connection and understanding that we're able to create. So then the third step is about where we place our attention. So we're training ourselves to be more present, training ourselves to have more helpful intentions, and then where are we looking? What are we doing with our mind? What are we doing with our attention in a conversation? Are we focusing on our judgments and evaluations and blame and what should have been and what happened last time? Or are we putting our attention somewhere useful that's actually going to help us to hear one another? And so the instruction here is to focus on what matters. 
to learn how to train our attention to identify specific aspects of experience in a conversation that are going to make it easier to express ourselves in a way that the other person can hear and understand and that make it easier to hear what someone else is saying regardless of how they're talking to us. That we can start to get underneath their words and and begin to hear what they really mean or what we think they might mean. So focusing on what matters means that we train our attention in several ways, but the, the key and the core is to identify the deeper uh, values or objectives or, or needs underneath what's happening. And so this is a fundamental uh, principle or understanding in many social sciences, um, including humanistic psychology, which is that as human beings, we're basically just trying to get our needs met. Like Just like a plant turns towards the light, human beings are trying to meet our needs. We're not always successful. We're not always smart about how we try to meet our needs. We're not even always conscious. In fact, I would say a lot of the times we're not conscious of what, what needs we're trying to meet. But that we can understand and see our life and our behavior from this perspective. Not only that, but that we all share the same fundamental underlying needs. So in the Buddhist tradition, this is articulated with the phrase, all beings want to be happy. We all just want to be happy. What that happiness looks like differs from person to person, from moment to moment. Sometimes it looks like understanding or belonging or connection. Sometimes it looks like play or meaning or contribution. Sometimes it looks like rest. Sometimes it looks like nourishment or food. These basic human needs that we share. So when we can start to actually identify underneath the specifics of a situation, what really matters? Can we focus on what matters? Why? Why is this important to us? Personally, professionally, socially, in any situation, what are the deeper objectives? What's act- what actually matters here? We have a lot more room to be creative, to hear one another, to understand from, each, from, from a different perspective. And we, we can be more creative about the decisions and the choices we make. So I want to I want to end with another another short story about um, this this last training and identifying needs and and focusing on what matters. Um, some women were at a protest in Boston. Um, one group of women from a pro-life organization, another group of women from a pro-choice organization. Large demonstration. This was this was quite a few years ago, and um, you know, typical situation: signs, banners, people shouting and yelling. And um, somehow, in the course of the demonstration, a few women on different sides connected and and kind of acknowledged how ridiculous it was to be yelling and screaming at one another. That you know, this is not really accomplishing anything. And, you know, why don't we get together? So a small group from each side that happened to connect started meeting. 
And over a period of months, they got to know each other and really tried to understand, really tried to focus on what matters to you about your views, about your beliefs, to hear one another. So many months go by. They get to know one another, each other's families. None of them change their views. But they deepen their sense of respect for each other because they start to understand not just the perspective or their needs, but their humanity. And at some point, the women from the pro-life camp heard that someone was planning to come to Boston to bomb an abortion clinic. And because of these conversations, because of these connections that they had made, and the understanding of the deeper layer of of human values underneath the position which they didn't agree with, because they were able to humanize the other side, when they heard that, they sent a message out to the network, you're not welcome in our community, don't come. That's the power of these tools. When we're able to lead with presence, to come from curiosity and care and to focus on what matters, is it humanizes one another so that even if we still disagree, we'll no longer see violence as a viable strategy. So that's my, that's my wish with this book, is that it can, it can teach us to start to realize in our personal lives as well as in our society some of what's so desperately needed, this ability to hear one another and to see our humanity. So we'll shift to some questions. Um, I want to just mention before we shift, or as we shift into questions, um, that uh, I'm going to be teaching a lot on the book in the, in the coming months. I'm, I'm leading a number of retreats and training programs here in the Bay Area. Um, for those who are listening remotely, I'm, I'm also leading a 12-week online course based on the book next year. So there are a lot of ways to connect and learn and train if you're interested in this. And I'll talk about a few of the ways you can stay in touch as well after the Q&A. So we have time for just, uh, just a few comments or questions. So if you have uh, something you'd like to ask, raise your hand and uh, Jim can bring over the mic. Thank you, Jim. What about conversations where you show up and you're in so much pain or you're so angry Mm -hmm. that it's hard to communicate clearly? Yeah. So um, a few different things. Um, One is um, this is why we train ourselves, right? So there's all of the work that we do outside of that moment to have the skills to handle the intensity of what we're feeling. And that's not just meditative training. Meditative training isn't enough with relationship and communication. We need specific training in the skills of navigating that terrain. So that's one part. The other part is recognizing our limits, knowing, knowing where our capacity ends 
and being able to skillfully um, handle uh, handle the situation when we're b- beyond our capacity by being able to say like this is not the right time for me to have this conversation because I, I don't trust that anything I say is going to be helpful. Right? If you're really activated and the other person has the skill and the space to hold it, great. You know? Not a lot of people do. But you can check. You can see. Right? But if neither person has the capacity or the skill to hold the intensity, then the wisest move is to wait, is to find a way to gracefully exit the conversation, to say, you know, I care about this. We're going to sort this out, but not now. Can we talk tomorrow? Or I'll get back in touch within a couple days after I've cooled off. That would be my recommendation. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. This is such a wonderful topic and so multi, so much to it. And I, I think it, I just keep thinking about the other layer that we're living in right now with the technology that we're all involved yes. in. And the very notion, I've, I read a woman who, who's been studying humans and computers for many years, and one of the things that I remember she said was the very presence of a phone changes the conversation. Yes. So yes. here we are all sort of struggling with all those yes. aspects that are sort of hijacking all of us on so many very um, deep communication levels. Absolutely. Because people are just, if you just sit back and look, it's just happening so yeah. pervasively everywhere yeah. in the culture. Yeah, it's, it's one of the main obstacles that we're working against, particularly in leading with presence, you know, because everything is fragmenting our attention and things are going so fast and so disembodied that we're, which is why mindfulness practice and meditation is such an asset and such a resource. Um, we're reclaiming our, our authority over our attention and over our sense of embodiment, our right to, to be here in this body, in this moment, instead of in the virtual world. Yeah. So having a conversation with somebody about something you really is you know, you want to address and sort of seeing that there's that layer there that's sort of like they're not really, yeah. you know, it's just, it's challenging. Yeah, which is why I, I emphasize creating the conditions. And so one of those is setting up, you know, making sure, and this is one of the aspects of right speech, is making sure it's the right time and place. And negotiating that with the other person, saying, I'd like to talk to you about something that's pretty important to me, is now a good time. You know, and if not, when is a good time? You know, I notice that your phone's on the table, and f- I don't know what it's like for you, but for me, it's kind of distracting. I'm wondering if you'd be willing to silence it and put it away so that we can really be present with one another. Right? Making those requests up front and creating the conditions so that we can really hear one another. Yeah, thank you. It's a really important point. So um, I want to honor our time and make sure that we all uh, can get get home and, and get to bed on time. So... Um, I'll just share a couple things if you want to stay in touch or learn more. Um, so the name of the book is Say What You Mean, A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication. 
And uh, there's a bunch of material on um, the small table out by the Maha Pajapati statue, um, including a few postcards about the book. So feel free to take one of these, and there's a little information about the book on the back, and each one has a teaching on it from the book. Um, and if you want to stay in touch, uh, if how I've presented things has been useful or meaningful for you in any way, um, I would really enjoy that. I have an email list, and I send out a couple emails a month. Uh, I write them myself, and I always try to include a link to a talk or an article that I've written or something that I think will be uplifting or, or useful. Um, so there is an email sign-up list on the table. Um, or you can also just do it on your phone, <laughs> um, which in some ways is actually more reliable because then I don't have to try to decipher your handwriting. <laughs> um, so the way to do that, I'll just say it briefly, even though this sounds like an infomercial, it's always a little embarrassing. <laughs> but the way to do that is to send a text message um, to the number 44222. <laughs> so if you send a text message to that number with the word guided, like guided meditation, um, you get... Uh, a, ser- a free guided meditation series that I put together and uh, an ebook on s- contemplative practice. And you'll sign up for my newsletter. So it's 44222, and you just send that one word guided, G U I D E D. So let's just sit together for a moment and we'll offer the merit of our practice. May any insight, learning, or understanding from our time together grow within each of us and spread out into this world that there be more peace, safety, and freedom for all beings everywhere. So thanks so much for your practice. I hope to see you again here or down the line.